All right, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, everybody. Prophet is Dawn here, and I am the senior pastor of Life Path Apostolic Agape House of Prayer. And it is another Thursday night, Thursday night Bible study, and we're going to jump right in here. We are talking about Abraham uh, and Lot, Sarai, and the promises that God gave Abraham and the benefits that everybody received as a result of God's promises. So we're going to jump right into these questions. We already uh, did our scripture verses. We started at verse uh, at chapter 13 and ended at chapter 21. So we're not going to talk about Isaac yet. That's in 22 through. So, but we, uh, is it 22 through 28? But anyway, uh, we're just going to go ahead and get started tonight. Who want to lead us in prayer? I will. Okay. Thank you, Lord, for gathering us here together on this Thursday night, Lord. We thank you so much for the knowledge that we will receive in this Bible study. We thank you so much for bringing us together. We ask that you continue to fill our um, mind, our body, our spirit, and our souls with the Holy Spirit and with the Word, Lord. We ask that you continue to help us learn your Word and understand your Word, Lord. We ask that you allow the answers and the questions to come to us, Lord, so that we get the best understanding that we can. We thank you so much for this opportunity to be here to learn this and receive this information. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So last week we got about midway through and then we stopped. So I think we were in chapter 19. So Genesis chapter 19. You want to turn to that? And I don't know. That light don't work. Oh, yeah. I have to turn it on. All right. So Genesis 19. And so in that chapter, where where is Lot? Where is Lot? When we get into Genesis 19. Anybody know where he's at? Okay. He's in Sodom. He's in Sodom. So think about it. What what you think he learned from getting uh, captured. I don't know. Did he learn Absolutely not. <laughs> like, why you back? Why you go back there? He is, <laughs> he is Sodom. So the question is, has he learned anything from being captured? Apparently not. Because he done went right back to where he was. Alright, so how does Lot treat uh, the two angels? And why, why do you think... Did we ask these questions last time? I don't think so. Oh, yeah, we did ask how did he treat the two angels and why? Because we said that they were um, God. Or he. I don't know if we talked about I don't think we got to the questions yet. Okay. Maybe we just have already talked. So, how how does he treat the two angels and why do you think he insists strongly that they come to, to his home with him? He treats them good and I think that he insisted because he knew how that city got down. And he didn't want to expose them to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do the men in Sodom respond to the two angels? Uh, do they even know that they're angels? And what do you think this tells us about how they treat people? And what is the men of Sodom understanding of uh, sexuality? They respond to the two men because they're trying to get them and involve them in the mess that they had going on. And I would say that rather they knew they were angels or not, I don't think that that really made a difference because they were so deep within their sin. So I'm not sure if they knew or not, but I don't think that it really would have mattered to them. And I think their sexuality is very confused um, because they have a lot of homosexuality going on. And so they, they felt like they could be with anybody but the thing about it even beyond the homosexuality they were savages right so they they wanted to brutal brutal lord it's a long day for me brutalize people and take from them so so to be a rapist that's a that's a different kind of demon but anyway yeah i don't i don't think that they recognized that they were um angels 
I, I do think that if they recognized they were angels, they would have, they, they would have stopped what they were doing. Because if you think about it, people like that, they probably was a bunch of punks together and understanding that they were angels, they would have known that they would have took them down. They, they would have known because what did the angels do? Blinded them and then destroyed the city. Yeah, they would have ran like some little girls. Well, I ain't going to say girls because some girls strong, but anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, how do you think Sodom had gotten to the point where it was acceptable to rape visitors? And do you think their treatment of people is part of the outcry that God had heard? I think that they got to that point by just living a life of sin, probably worshiping other gods and just allowing a lot of sin into their lifestyle. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, what was the second part of the question? Uh, what do you, I mean, do you think that their treatment of people is part of the outcry that God had heard? Because remember earlier he said he heard their cry. Yeah, I think that that's probably actually the main Here's what I think about, which I'm not very clear about, and maybe I need to go deeper, is that, so the Bible tells us that there were four kings who defeated the five. So to me, was it that the people had uh, adopted the customs of those other kingdoms, right? And their demonic practices, and it just, you know, consumed the people. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, but I agree with you that it had gotten that bad because they didn't put their sin in check. And, you know, like my old pastor used to tell me, sin will take you further than you want to go for longer than you want to be there. And, you know, once they become complacent with that lifestyle, then they get progressively worse. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, hey, we'll just go ahead and, and have... Uh, forbidden sex, you know, because whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, you're still opening up gates. And so, oh, well, we'll just do that. So now we'll get drunk and and uh, take it from people, you know, and all the stuff they were out there doing. Yeah, y'all some demons. But anyway, and I'm not saying that people who sin are demons. I'm saying those in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were some demons. All right, so how do how do the men of the city regard Lot and his guests, and how do they respond to Lot's attempts to save his guests? I would say they had no respect for him or his guests because they were trying to still get them to come outside after they said no. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think that, one, I'm convinced that, you know, because the Bible... Uh, alludes to the fact that Lot was someone of, he was a pillar in that community and he was someone of prestige. So typically, you would think even in the midst of that, they would have recognized him as an authority and respected the fact that he had guests, but they didn't. They just knew what they wanted. All right, so what does Lot say Uh what does Lot say about his daughters when uh, he is trying to protect his, his visitors? He tell them... He, he, um, he's saying that um, he can sacrifice his daughters so that they won't um, go to the visitors. He said that he can give them his virgin daughters to try to... to, to or defer, or, yeah, defer them from one of the visitors. So, the, I mean, what is that, what do we think that that means about his understanding of sexuality? Oh, right, because I didn't think about it like that, that he knows that it's wrong that they want to do that with those men. So, he was, well, even though it's wrong for them to rape his daughters as well, he must have thought that at least it's like not the wrong idea of sexuality because they are girls. Right, because to him, he looking at it like, okay, so one sexual sin can be 
remedied by another sexual sin, right? So, all right, so how does Sodom shape Lot as he uh, has become more invested in living there? I would say that it probably weakened him because when he was with Abram and um, he probably had a lot more like sense of self and sense of God and things like that. So he probably fell into their actual culture and became accustomed to that. Not saying that he did everything that they did, but he was probably very desensitized and moved far away from what him and Abram were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so what does all this tell you about how sin eventually causes people to see other people as objects. Wow. Mm. Wow. Exactly what the question says. Wow. That sin can cause you to see other people as objects. Um, I feel like Lot has, we we discovered that he's always been more of a do with his eyes instead of with faith. So I feel like he probably got away from his faith and definitely started seeing people more as objects. Right, and 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 the citizens of Sodom, right, and Sodom and Gomorrah, because and the thing that kind of struck me when I read that question is that sin will detense, desensitize your humanity. You understand what I'm saying? Like it'll it'll separate you from. You know, empathy and sympathy and compassion right. to others because it, it 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 separates you from God and God is love, so it separates you from love. All right, um, somebody read chapter, uh, I mean verse thirteen and chapter nineteen, Genesis nineteen and thirteen. In the message is 12 and 13, so I'll just read The two men said to Lot, Do you have any other family here, sons, daughters, anybody in the city? Get them out of here and now. We're going to destroy this place. The the outcries of the victims here to God are deafening. We've been sent to blast this place into oblivion. What is what does Lot know about his visitors? Like, what does he know or understand about his visitors? They're number one. They're not from there, and they're there to help him. And we think that he understands that they're like God or angels. Mm-hmm. And what? Yeah. So that goes blends into the next question and about God. What does he know about God? But that's that's true. How does he attempt to save his family? But he, so that was initially, mm-hmm. but he did go and tell them to oh, try to convince, yes, because yes, remember yes. the boyfriends or yeah, the they fiancés, laughed. they laughed, they thought it was a joke. Yeah. And then eventually he, he took heed and was obedient, right. but the family, the, you know, they didn't take it serious. And what do you think their view of God was? The family and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think they had a strong sense of God. I don't think they really had a strong view of God or was really exposed to God. Mm-hmm. All right, now look at 14. You want to read that one, Andy? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and if it started a different one? It's, it's 14. Oh, okay. He to be what? Justin? Just jo- oh, Justin, like joking. Yeah. So, so what is what does that tell us about the influence that he had over his family? Didn't really have a strong influence. They didn't take him serious. Yeah. 
you know, because first of all, the breakdown of the family came when you went to an evil place. But then at the same time, when they're watching you being a part of that society, your family not going to respect you. All right, so what do the angels have to uh, to get Lot? Have what do the angels have to do to get Lot and his family out of the city? And what kind of influence have Lot and his wife had on their daughters? Mm. They had to literally drag them out to get them out of the city, and I feel like they didn't have much of an influence over their daughters because. It didn't seem like they had an urgency to leave or they really taught their daughters different views than what was around them in Sodom. Right. All right, so go to Genesis 19, 18, and 20. But Lot protested, No, masters, you can't mean it. I know that you've taken a liking to me and have done me an immense favor in saving my life. But I can't run for the mountains. Who knows what terrible things might happen to me in the mountains and leave me for dead. Look over there. That town is close, enough to get to. It's a small town, hardly anything to it. Let me escape there and save my life. It's a near wide place in the world. Mm. And so what was he afraid of? anything like he was afraid of death and something like just taking and killing him this guy so if you think about it where he's trying to go was one of the five kingdoms that was overcome so in his mind he's saying well instead of going to the cave because I don't know what's going on over there I want to deal with the devil I know Send me to that small city instead of sending me to the cave, you know, because he understood the paganism. Mm. He understood the way that they were living and and all of that. He was complacent and comfortable with it. So, you know, he was okay with that. But we learned, too, eventually he wound up going to the cave anyway, like they told him. All right, so describe the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and what... Uh, do, what do the reasons for the method of destruction tell you about God? Mm. They were, it was lava coming from the sky, so it like burned down. And I feel like it just tells you how specific God is, because to me, that would be a symbolization of H-E-L-L and where they were going after they died. Mm-hmm. Fire and brimstone. You're going to burn, burn, burn. Uh, Let me see. I believe that the reason that God used that method was to send a clear message to everybody in all those surrounding uh, cities and kingdoms and all of that. At the end of this, you're going to know I'm not playing. And like you said, it was a precursor to, you know, um, the all-consuming fire that people are going to be sent to in the lake of fire. Um, you know, so. Uh, all right, so go to, who can go to Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50? We didn't read that, but we can read it now. Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle. Uh, 16, chapter 16, verse 49 through 50. You want to read it, India? Ezekiel 16 is at the Lamentations. After Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. I always start with, like, you see Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. 
Iniquity. Iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did the, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needed, and they were haughty and committed abomination mm -hmm. before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Yes, yes, yes. So, so. Uh, the sin. So God is telling them, he's like, look, the sins of your sister Sodom was this. She lived with her daughters in a lap of luxury, proud, gluttonous, and lazy. Hmm. They ignored the oppressed and the poor. They put on airs and lived obscene lives. And you know what happened to them. I did away with them. Now, what do that remind y'all of? I'm telling you, it reminds me of some USA, mm -hmm. United States of America. Okay, what was the other uh, question? It says, how do they commit abomination before God in their pride? Um, I would say probably from, like, idolizing things and stuff like that, being materialistic. Their sin wasn't about... The Bible tells us that homosexuality is an abomination against God, right? Because it is a sin against the root or the foundational construct of how he produces humankind, right? So he, he calls that an abomination. Their obscene lifestyles, you know, was an abomination to God. All right. Uh, all right. This is good. So we know what happened to Lot's wife, but I want somebody to read Jeremiah uh, 7 verses 24 through, I mean, 23 through 24. And so Jeremiah is after Isaiah. Okay, and the message is 21 through 26. Okay, okay. The message from God of the angel armies. Israel God, go ahead, put your burnt offerings with all your other sacrificial offerings and make a good meal for yourselves. I sure don't want them. When I delivered your ancestors out of Egypt, I never said anything to them about wanting burnt offerings and sacrifices as such. But I did say this, command this, obey me. Do what you say, do what I say and I will be your God and you will be my people. Live the way I tell you. Do what I command so that your lives will be great. But do you think they listen? Not a word of it. They did just what they wanted to do. Indulge in, indulged any and every evil whim and got worse day by day. From the time your ancestors left the land of Egypt until now, I've supplied a steady stream of my servants and prophets. Do you think the people listen? Not once. Stubborn as mules and worse than their ancestors. God is telling them something. Right. Like, first of all, I asked for none of your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. Right. You did that. Uh -huh. You gave me that. And a lot of times, we as Christians, we feel like we doing something because we praying or praising right. God or worshiping Him. He don't need our... I'm going over to uh, Voice of Okay. All right. All right. Have fun okay. What, y'all? So. Everything good? Y'all yeah. laughing at me or with me? We not laughing. Oh. We finishing Bible study. Oh, I'm sorry. But anyway, um, he... As Christians, a lot of times we feel like we're doing something for God by doing, one, what he asks us to do, but two, what we feel like doing for him. You know, sometimes I realize 
that my prayer life is not necessarily what it should be. I remember I used to pray for hours. Like I would pray all through the night. And now I just I just pray, you know, and I pray regular, but it's just like that level of intensity. It's like, you know, we just give God what we want to give him as if he's supposed to just accept it, you know. So uh so we know why she turned why his wife turned back because her entire life was invested in Sodom. You know, she, she everything she owned, everything she loved was there. Even though her family was right there with her, she she loved it. So she turned back. Uh why does God rescue Lot? I believe because he's a descendant or a blood relative of Abraham. Uh, one more thing too. Um, Darius, I probably didn't tell Darius, but I know I told Mary. What is that stuff? This is mine. Um, y'all need to stop using that garage. Okay. Use the front door. All right, bye. All right, let's get back to Bible study. Okay, so, um... What was I saying? Um, we was talking about why she. No, why did God? Why did God rescue Lot? Let's go back yeah. to Genesis nineteen and twenty I still go back well, to I believe he his righteousness. When we talk about his righteousness, it was it was because of Abraham. Yeah. Because Abraham was chosen and Abraham's righteousness in God's eyes wasn't so much about his obedience and him right. walking in God's will. It was because he was the chosen. He was chosen by God. So and that don't give us excuses to be like, oh, God chose me so I can live however, because Abraham did. Well, let's see how that worked for him. It didn't work so well, you know. All right, so I got another uh, couple of groups of scriptures for y'all to read. Second uh, Peter 2, 4 through 10 is one. And then somebody else pull up Luke 17, and it's in the New Testament, 28 through 36. I'll do the second Peter. Okay. You said second Peter... Four through ten. Luke uh, seventeen, twenty-eight through thirty-six. Which chapter is Peter? Two. Oh, two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The message is okay. Yeah, okay. I love the message. It's up to y'all, whatever version y'all like. You like the message, or you want to do a different? God didn't let the rebel oh I'm sorry you said 4 through 10 God didn't let the rebel angels off the hook but jailed them in hell till judgment day neither did he let the ancient ungodly world off he wiped it out with the flood rescuing only 8 people Noah the sole voice of the righteous was one of them God decreed destruction for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah a mound of ashes was all that was left. Grim warning to anyone bent on an ungodly life. But that God, that good man Lot, driven nearly out of his mind by the sexual filth and perversity, was rescued. Surrounded by moral rot, day by day after day after day, that righteous man was in consistent torment. So God knows how to rescue the godly from the evil trials. And he knows how to hold the feet of the wicked to the fire and to judgment day. Predators on the prowl. God is especially incensed against these teachers who live by lust, addicted to filthy existence. They despise interference from the true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule. Insolence, egotist, 
they don't hesitate to speak evil against the most splendid of creatures. Even angels, they're superior in every way, wouldn't think of throwing their weight around like that, trying to slander others before God. All right, so 17, Luke 17. Did you find it? You know how to change the... Um... So I just type in description oh oh okay okay yeah that's cool that's cool yeah. okay cool that's good that's smart okay, so 17 28 through 36 i think yeah okay it was the wait it was the same in the days of Lot, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the household with possessions and buy should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and who, whoever loses their life will preserve it. I'll tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Is it repeat that, or am I crazy? No, you, it, it, it did, but it just said it a little bit different. Okay, mm-hmm. you got it, though. Mm-hmm. And so it's saying two men will be in the same boat fishing. And so one of them be taken and, and one of them will be, uh, be left. And then two women in the, working in the kitchen. One of them will be taken and one will be left. Y'all ever heard this song? Um, I'm going to play this real quick. But um, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. And he's trying to warn them about what's going to happen. And so he's reminding them of the day of Lot. So that tells us that when uh, um, when that happens, you know what what we have to look forward to. But I'm gonna play this. Okay, but uh, and I'm gonna find that song so I can put it in between there since it cut me off. But uh, what does that tell us about, what do you, what do you think about Lot's daughters? How would you describe them? I would say a product of their environment. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, and, and remember I said they were a little, a little vindictive mm-hmm. <laughs> there. Uh, raping their daddy like their daddy was trying to rape them. I mean, get them raped, but they actually raped their dad. Uh, and they were the mothers of the Moabites and the Amorites. Uh, and so, what does Lot Daughter's uh, ideal tell you about the influence of, of living in Sodom had on them? And what is their understanding about sexuality? I feel like those traits that they were showing is definitely something that must have went on in Sodom. Like, that's probably how they raped a lot of men or try to, to trick a lot of men into having sex with them by getting them drunk. Um, so I feel like that would confuse their sexuality growing up seeing that. Yeah, that's why men today better be careful. You don't know what somebody putting in your drinks. And then, on top of that, nowadays, you don't even know what's a man or a woman. Right. So, but anyway. <laughs> Alright, so... So let's talk about the identity. So how did Lot's surroundings shape his identity? You said how did Lot's surroundings shape his identity? Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I feel like Lot didn't really have a strong, like, sense of self to where he, like, it was kind of hard to, like, grasp it didn't seem like he was a part of what was going on inside him, but it also seemed like he just kind of put up with that stuff. So I think his identity would have been a little bit blurred because he's becoming kind of a product of his environment as well. 
Right. Because he was definitely raised right. Right. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah, they or Abram and Sarah, they, they taught him about God. Um, and so when we think about how Lot invested so much of his life and his being and all of that into Sodom, what what is an example of how that would look today? Like, <laughs> somebody moving to a, a certain city that is very high in homosexuality and becoming a part of that. Like, what, what, what was the city? Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you, you're right. And, and not only that, it's a lot of people right now, and, and we'll just keep it to Christians, right, call themselves Christians and uh, gospel artists and all of that stuff, or preachers, and prophets. And acting in movies but cussing. Right. And then, and then on top of all of that, you're stealing God's people's stuff. Right. And profiting off of it because you want to drive around in these fancy cars, live in these big old houses, you know. And, so, and sometimes we just dedicate ourselves so much to... Keeping and maintaining the material things. Now, I can say, for me personally, I I am not a good steward over the balance of my life. Like balancing my welfare and health and all of that stuff. Because in my mind or in my, what I feel like is my reality, I'm like, dag, if I don't get this stuff done, I can lose my job. And if I lose my job, then my lifestyle would change. But taking a bold stance as a Christian, I mean, look, I'm not putting nothing before church. I mean, not not even church per se in the sense of church because people get you caught up like that. Oh, you can't come to church. You something wrong with you. Got you don't love God. No, no, I got priorities. I'm not coming tonight. All right, but anyway. Um, you know, I you put so much of an emphasis on that. You're not doing the kingdom work that God desires for you to do. All right, so let me see. It talks about the truths about God and man. It says, God hears the outcry of the wounded, oppressed, mistreated, and raped. And God responds in his own timing. I know a lot of times people feel like, well, God, you see what I'm going through. Why haven't you done anything? You know, and God was responding you know, it just didn't happen exactly when it just didn't happen exactly when, you know, they, they wanted it to happen. All right. So God sees and judges wickedness, violence, and sexual sin. God sees and he judges. People think God ain't judging them. Trust and believe monkey pop. I mean, you know, but anyway, God takes vengeance on sexual sin, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 6. Man is tempted by sin, by the sin around him. You're tempted by what you know. Come on now. Now, this is the thing, too. A lot of times, people need to get up and get out of situations because you're going to be tempted for so long, as long as you're there. Like, for me, you know, I ain't never been um, the type of person that hung out in the hood. And I And when I say hood, I'm just talking about in the environment where people do stuff like drinking and smoking and all of that stuff, which that can happen in the suburbs, but just hanging in those places, you know, I've never been that kind of person. But a lot of times people who are drawn to that, it's like you got to come out of that environment. You can't keep going back to that environment or you're going to want to do the things that, you know, they do, you're going to keep being tempted and you're not going to be able to overcome that temptation. All right. It, it is difficult to speak uh, out when you're outnumbered, but silence destroys credibility. Listen to me. It is so hard to speak up when everybody else believes something that is a lie, but you still got to you still got to speak up. You still got to speak up because if Lot would have stood his ground and what he believed, 
more of them people. He probably would have had about a good 50 of them saved if he would have if he would have spoke up instead of being silenced. All right. You get to choose the level of influence that you have in your world. No influence is bad influence. So you choose what influence you have. But if you don't have no influence, then that means it's bad. Uh, man is accountable for reaching his community for Christ. Now, this is one of the things that we all have to understand. We get so selfish in our day-to-day living that we forget we got a job. We got a job to do. We are responsible for drawing people to Christ. Now, am I saying you responsible for drawing a nation? Hey, maybe, maybe not. But at least you're responsible for those in your community that you see every day. Those in your school, those on your job, you know, stuff like that. But anyway, uh, Christians have influence, both good and bad. And we all know that because sometimes... You know, I have to remind myself, Lord, I do not want to lose my witness with these people and, you know, have to say something and go off. But anyway, all right, so God does not destroy the righteous along with the wicked. He does not destroy the righteous along with the wicked. And so where uh, uh, Cain, I mean, not Cain, Lord, where... Uh, Lord, Lot, <laughs> I can't believe that judges happened. You know why it happened? Because I was replaying in my mind last week. I said, God destroys the, the just, I mean, the, yeah, the wicked with the just. And it's not what I, I didn't mean. I mean that he reigns on the just as well as the unjust, you know. And so, but anyway, that's why my brain just couldn't snap out of it. All right, God hears the prayers of intercessors. Yes, absolutely, he does. Uh, a quote on sexual sin. What good is Christian? What good Christians don't realize is that sexual sin is not recreational sin gone overboard. Sexual sin is predatory. It won't be healed by redeeming the context of the genders. Sexual sin must simply be killed. What is left of your sexuality after this annihilation is up to God. But healing to sexual sinners is death. Nothing more, nothing less. Too many young Christians, fornicators, plan that marriage will redeem will redeem the sin. Too many young Christian I don't even want to say that. All right, I, I, I just got to read it. I'm reading too many Christian masturbators plan that marriage will redeem their patterns. Too many Christian internet pornographers uh, think that le- legitimate sex will take away the desire to have illicit sex. They're wrong. And marriages that result from this line of thinking are dangerous places. I know. Uh... Oh, this is the author writing this. I know I told my audience why over 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. Because Christians act as though marriage redeems sin. Marriage does not redeem sin. Only Jesus himself can do that. Now, that's deep. That is deep. Here's the thing. With me and my husband... Were living together for years, living together. And God called me to ministry. I told that joker, I was like, we ain't doing nothing. Because I refused to sin against God. But here's the thing. I never was delivered from sexual sin. So that sin that we sown into our marriage, into our relationship, we had to reap out of years of torment and pain, right? And I'm not even going to say nothing about nope. I'm just going to leave it alone. But y'all done witness some stuff, right? So sexual sin is is not cured by marriage. Sexual sin is cured by purifying and getting deliverance and letting God heal 
that part of you that allowed that sexual sin to overcome you. Your flesh got to die daily. Your flesh got to die daily. All right. All right. So now we're about to get into uh, the next week nine. <laughs> Ain't that something we, we won't even die? Okay. Let's see how far we can get. Eight o'clock. Okay. All right. So here are some truths that uh, we have. And this one is Abraham's uh, shaping promise. So his promise is starting to come together, right? We're starting to see it shape, shaping. All right, so God promises shape his people as they live by them. God is an instigator of the promises. Neither the promise nor its fulfillment is the product of human effort. That's right. So God is the instigator. God frequently allows a great deal of time to pass between the promise and its fulfillment. Ain't that the truth? Uh, this gap, this gap time is what he uses to shape his people's faith. Yes. God promises us things we can't understand or we can't see with the human eye, but communicates them in ways that we can understand. Promises come in relationships. God communicates with people who are in relationship with him. Promises require faith in God's goodness and the truth of his word. God's promises sustain his people in the doubting times and shape the direction of their lives, uh, shape the direction their lives take when they do not have an obvious path in front of them. God promises require faithfulness on his part and obedience on our part. But that's a good one. His promises sustain his people at the doubting times and it shapes the direction their lives take when they do not have an obvious path in front of them. So if it's his promise, you're going to go in the direction of his promise, right? All right. So, uh, so we remember, you know, what happened with Lot when he went his way, he went on and he turned, he went away from God and um, he he wasn't focused on the promise. Uh, what does Abraham give? Why does God give Abraham this picture? Right? Okay, we gonna skip. I'm gonna skip that part because we we talked a lot about that. <laughs> All right, so Genesis 15. Uh, we know this is the this is the chapter we talked a lot about this where Abram. He refused the to receive the reward from the king, you know, so he refused that. And um, God speaks directly to Abram. He speaks directly to Abram. And so in Genesis 15, what does God tell him? That um, basically look at the sky, count the stars, and then that's how many descendants you'll have. You'll have a big family. Um, they'll basically be enslaved for 400 years. But after that, he'll bring them out with the covenant. And so the shield that God gave him, that it was to shield him between him and the enemy. And so uh, Abram responded by faith. He responded by faith. Um, where does God take Abram and why? And what picture does uh, he give Abram to represent his promise? And you just basically said it pretty much. Um, at the end of chapter 15? Read, read um, it. Okay. When the sun was down, it was dark. A smoking fire pit and a flaming torch moved between the split of the carcasses. That's when God made a covenant with Abram. Mm. It's before that. It's probably up further. He said, where did God take Abram? What was the drink? What what did it say? Let me see. Genesis fifteen. Read the first. Read the first. Uh, fifteen. 
I'll read the fifth. Oh, then he took him outside and said, look at the sky, count the stars. Can you do it? Count your descendants. You're going to have a big family, Abram. So he took him outside and the picture he painted was a picture of the sky telling him to count the stars. And that's how much of a family, a big family he'll have. Did y'all read the what the Lord is saying today that I sent y'all earlier? Oh, no, you sent that today? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you want me to read it out loud? Mm-hmm. Okay. You are a star. That's right, a star. <laughs> when the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abram, Abraham, came into your life, another promise of God manifested. God told Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in heaven. You, my friend, are a manifested. You are a manifested product of prophecy made by God Himself. A descendant of Abraham. Today, whatever God tells you, believe it and don't waver. It shall come to pass. Genesis 15, 1, 5 through six. After, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying. Don't do not fear, Abraham. I am I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, and he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And so how did he respond to God? When he told him that. He believed it. He believed it. And God saw that as righteousness because of his faith. He believed God. And so it was funny to me when I got up today and I was I was uh, reading my devotional for today. And that was the word that came on the, what the Lord was saying today. I, I said, God is not going to let us get around getting this and understanding this. He wants us to understand you are a star. You are a star. Okay, so what does God teach Abram about himself? Um, I think we already talked about this. But anyway, so culturally, uh, when people made a serious or a binding covenant, they cut an animal in two, and they walked between the parts of that animal saying, if I do not keep my promise, let it let us be done. I mean, let this be done to us. So that was why he was doing that thing uh, for God. All right. What is the promise required? Okay. So the promise uh, that God gave Abram, it required that he had faith over sight, faith over what he saw. And, and regardless of what he experienced in past generations, he had to have faith of what God promised was to come. He never saw it. He never saw it before, and he had to have faith to believe that God was a God who uh, is faithful. Even beyond death, even beyond, you know, our situations and circumstances, God is faithful. Because if you think about it, Abram did not live to see the fulfillment of the promise. You know, he didn't, the full fulfillment, because think about it, we wanted them stars. <laughs> you know, so he he didn't live to see us, but God promised it, and he gave it to him. All right, so go to Genesis 17. Oh, yeah, that's good. Genesis 17, 1 through 9. All right, and I'll, I'll read this real quick just so you have context. It says... When Abram was 99 years old, God showed up and said to him, I am the strong God. Live eternally before me. Live to the hilt. Live to the hilt. That means live a good life. Uh, I'll make a covenant between us and I'll give you a huge family. Overwhelmed, Abram fell flat on his face. I would have too. Like, ooh, thank you, Jesus. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham, meaning I am making you the father of many nations. 
I'll make you a father of fathers. I'll make nations from you. Kings will issue from you. I'm establishing my covenant between me and you. The covenant that includes your descendants. A covenant that goes on and on and on. A covenant that commits me to your commits me to be your God and the God of your descendants. And I'm giving you and your descendants this land where you're now just camping this whole country of Canaan to own forever. And I'll be their God. What did I say? Oh, yes. Through nine. Uh, God continued and Abram, God continued to Abram and you, you will honor my covenant. You and your descendants generation after generation. This is the covenant that you are to be, uh, that you are to honor the covenant that pulls all your descendants, circumcise every male, circumcise, cutting off the foreskin of the penis. It will be the sign of the covenant between us. Every male baby will be circumcised when he is eight days old, generation after generation. This includes horse, I mean, housebound slaves and slaves brought from outsiders who were not blood kin. Make your circumcised. Make sure you circumcise your own children and anyone brought in from outside. That way, my covenant will be cut into your body, a permanent mark of my permanent covenant, an uncircumcised male, one who has not had the foreskin of his penis cut off, will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. All right. So we learned a lot about that. Uh, Abram was 99 years old. So at 99, that was, when did he get the promise? Was he 85 when he got the promise? Because it was 75 when he was told to leave. 85 when he got the promise. So he was 99 when the promise came. Uh, uh, Who initiates the conversation? God initiates the conversation. Uh, what does God promise Abram? That he was going to be the father of many nations. Uh, what does God call Abram? He now told him, he said, your name is Abraham. You're the great father. And I want you to change your wife's name to Sarah, uh, the the mother of many. And I, I'd like to see how that conversation went. Uh, when he's talking about, woman, your name is changed. All right. Um, Oh, that's good. Wow. Okay. Think about this. How will people get to know Abram? I mean, Abraham's new name. Probably by word of mouth. You raising your hand or you just move? Uh, <laughs> oh. I just, I what? Say it. Uh, huh? I don't know. Oh. I so yes by word of mouth, but he's gonna have to tell them. And see, a lot of times people who knew the old you, and they still thinking you the old you, and they want to call you by your old self and your old behavior. Your old, uh, uh-uh. uh, I'm I'm not that no more. You know, I I like Don, so I don't know about the change or what that name would be. Oh, Moa, I'm Moa, I'm Moa now. All right, all right, uh. Mm-hmm. And not only remember how they laugh when God came to them and said, y'all going to have a new son. People going to laugh when he go and tell them the promise. That's why sometimes I don't tell people stuff because they don't need to know. God said it. It's going to happen. Don't even worry about it. All right. So a lot of this, like I said, we talked it. Uh, God changes Sarah's name. He made a promise to her that, that he was going to give her a seed. And that was important to her. And that uh, her her seed will be the bloodline that the promise, God's promise comes of redemption. Uh, and so, let's see, what's this other question? So what was, what is the circumcision a sign for? Uh, covenant with the eyes so that it's actually cut into the skin. 
Now this is interesting. Yeah, because God, that was a private covenant. That was private. Some stuff, God ain't going to tell everybody because you got to have a mark. And so people would be like, oh, I'm I'm with this crew. I'm with them. Did, did you circumcise yourself? No. So you ain't a part of them. All right. Let me see. Yeah, like I said, a lot of these questions, sometimes they questions be redundant. You know, I already answered them. Yeah, let's talk about this. About the promise being realized. Um, you know, when when Isaac came. And what is y'all remember what I what Abraham did when Isaac was eight days old? He celebrated him. Mm. He had a party and circumcised him. And remember when the brother making fun of him? Making fun of him. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, he had to be like 14 years old. You up there making fun of your brother. He had to be a minimum. I mean, no, no, no. I'm sorry. He was 14 when he was born. So if he was making fun of him, he probably was a little bit older. You too old to be making fun of your brother. And let me see. Sarah, she just, she, she different. Now y'all know about these women. Some of these women be having these, uh, uh, some of these women be having these open relationships with men. And then you welcome a woman in, then you're going to get mad at the woman? I mean, Sarah, what? You shouldn't have did that. Ain't no way. Ain't no woman coming up over here. If, listen, if I can't give you no baby, then guess what? You probably don't need no baby. All right, so let me just go to uh, the truth about God. And man, it says, God makes promises and fulfills them in his own time, not according to his schedule. God promises require faith in his goodness and the truth of his word. All right, so let's see. And then this says, walking by faith costs God's people as they act in obedience, sometimes through ridicule, um, sometimes through pain, but it is always, always worth it. God speaks about the future as if it has already begun and happened. Now that's deep because God to him is already done. He done settled it. God speaks of things long before they happen because he knows the future. God gives people promises as an invitation to trust him. God is always shaping, uh, reshaping identity. God gives Abram a new name, but man was on his identity. Abraham had to tell the people to stop calling him Abram. God speaks about things we cannot understand in ways that we can understand. Yes, he does. Promises for the day, night, public, and private meant that God was always speaking to Abraham, even if he wasn't using words. Yes. God had to remember, I mean, Abraham had to remember God's promise to be able to walk in faith, but we must uh, be people of women. We must be people of the ear and people of memory. We must be people of the ear and people of memory. Okay. God promises gave purpose to everyone that happened to Abraham. God promises gave purpose to everyone through Abraham. I'm just going to say that because that was a... Them last two sentences, I don't think they were written right. That part is typo. All right, so did y'all learn something? Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to give y'all two, three minutes to tell what you learned from this story. Let India go first. <laughs> huh? Any, any one little thing. Trust in God, believing in his promises. Yeah. 
Yep, yep. If he said he gonna do it for sure. And what you learn? I think the same thing like stuck out to me that God keeps his promises in his own timing and I think we in our flesh want it to be in our timing, but we have to remember that we have to come up to him and realize what he wants us to do because it's his promise, so it's ordained by his timing and his perfect plan. Amen, amen. You want to lead us out in prayer? Okay. Yes, yes, another good one.